Hi, friends, and welcome to another Hot Off the Mic episode of We're Going There. This season of the podcast, we've tackled some pretty tough topics, and I'm so honored that you have listened and engaged in the dialogue. As an Enneagram 7, the last thing I want to do is make people uncomfortable or have conversations that revolve conflict. But one of the joys of this season is having this space to talk to you about it. One reviewer of the podcast whose handle is jazzlr08 said, Bianca, I am so, 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 yes, y'all, she included three so's. Grateful for this podcast. I'm pretty sure you won't read this, but I'm still going to tell you thank you. Thank you for going there with vulnerability and transparency. The content has been so encouraging and life-giving. Well, jazzlr08, I did read that review. And shout out to producer Madi for sending me the podcast reviews because on days when I feel like uh, what I do doesn't matter or it doesn't make a difference. Your kind reviews and shares online feel like one big cyber hug. I am truly grateful for this podcast community. Now, before you think I've gone soft and we're here to sing Kumbaya around the campfire, let's get real, friends. We are gonna talk about embracing uncomfortable. I felt this was an appropriate week to talk about it because as COVID is lifting and bans and restrictions are lifting across the world, the last 12 months has been so friggin' uncomfortable from a global standpoint. And for me personally, from life to home, to work, to church, to family, so much has been uncomfortable. As much as I would like to tell you that we all deserve a three-month European vacation, it doesn't look like that's happening anytime soon. So today, we're going to be talking with a licensed psychologist, therapist, and psychology professor, Dr. Deborah Gorton, on embracing uncomfortable. She's going to give us some wisdom and educated knowledge on the root of why this is so hard. But before we dive into the interview, let me share with you six ways to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. If you're a note taker, pull out a pencil, a pen, a notebook, a highlighter, and write this down. Number one, start. The first step is always the most uncomfortable. All you have to do is show up. The battle is half won if you just show up. Now, I get it. I get it. It's totally uncomfortable to start something new. If possible, make the decision to start on your own rather than someone making that decision for you. Once you start, you're going to want to quit immediately. Whenever you start something, it totally sucks. I mean, think about it. A new project, a new job, a new diet, a new workout routine. It sucks. But remind yourself that you made the decision. You've already committed and there's no going back, which leads to point two. Write this down. Don't quit. You've decided to start. Uh, I get it. You're not seeing results. It's difficult. It's hard. You want to quit. It's okay. Just keep pushing forward. You're going to start thinking of a way to quit and a way to save face. Do not do it. Don't give yourself an excuse. Don't give up. Don't give yourself any other options. It's either you succeed or you fail. There is no quitting and no excuses. The point when you feel like you are about to give up is the precise moment that the other guy does give up. At some point, you're going to have to ask yourself, why am I here? And you better have the answer. If you don't determine that in advance, you'll have every excuse to quit. So ask yourself some questions. What's driving me? Is it a competition? Is it a challenge? Is it a new goal I want to hit? Is it something I want to prove to myself? Whatever the case may be, it better be powerful or else the power to quit will be power than your reason why. Number three, push yourself past your comfort zone. At some point, you're going to say to yourself, I've never done this before, or I don't know what I'm doing. It's okay. Take a breath. We've all been there before. Here's the trick. Don't say it out loud. Trust me on this. Watch your words. If you're able to control your tongue, that's the first step in controlling your emotions. If you keep telling yourself a false narrative, you will begin to believe it. I get it. It's scary, but I promise you this. When it's over, you're going to look back and say, huh, that wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. Fear kills more dreams than failure ever will. Number four, 
This is super important. Be around like-minded people. Create a support network. Talk about your experiences. The worse the experience it is to you, the better the story will be to everyone else. And we get to learn from each other. Soon you'll be seeking uncomfortable experiences to share with your friends. Be a good storyteller. It makes the journey so much better. Number five, recognize your improvements. This is super important and one that I've struggled with in the past and that's why I feel like it's important to share. But it is imperative that you track your progress. Revel in it. You are now a changed person. You know it because you see it. You actually have sizable differences and impact. Build your confidence by going back to what was before the uncomfortable and look back at the experience that you've gained because of it and stop to celebrate the progress that has been made. Even if it's incremental, my favorite cycle instructor, Robin Arzon says, aim to change just 1% every day. By the time you know it, you'll be faster, stronger, and wiser. And lastly, rinse and repeat. There is an old Russian proverb that says, put vornyedek mat uchenya, which means repetition is the mother of all learning. And yes, that was my Russian accent. The more you perform the same activity, the more confident you become. Confidence is a tangible thing. It comes from practice and repetition. Practice and repetition. Practice and repetition. Now let's practice repeating what we know. Listening to podcasts from really smart people. Let's welcome Dr. Deb to the show. Dr. Deb, I'm so excited for the world to introduce a woman that I hold in highest regard. Thank you for coming on. We're going there. Oh, my pleasure. Okay. So, um, you're so Zen and you're so chill. You're a great <laughs> yin to my yang. But one of the things that people might not know is that we're like in real life friends and yeah. I'm going to do a quick round rapid fire question to kind of give people a review of like how we know each other. And then we'll dive into an amazing topic about being uncomfortable. And so, okay, here we go. Are you ready for the quick fire questions? I'm, I'm right. I feel like I'm on a dating game. Oh, this is so fun. And then, then we'll tell everyone how single <laughs> you are. And if they have a great like brother or uncle who like flosses regularly, loves Jesus, has a great job, preferably over six foot. Perfect. I mean, hook a homie okay. up. Okay. Right. Are you ready? Yep. Okay. What city did we meet in? Chicago. Why did we meet? Uh, rooted Chicago, which was a, which was conference, a conference that yeah. you co-hosted. Yep. What was that final treat that you schlepped me to on the morning that I departed because you were my amazing host for that conference? Oh man. You have did to I remember get, this. Did I get you donuts or coffee? Yes, you okay. did. You took me to this amazing donut spot, which is horrible for my diet, but I mean, it was delicious for my memories. I'm uh, known to do that. Chicago natives. What was the name of that donut shop? It was like some popular donut shop. It was right by the W in downtown Chicago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it either was Do Right Donuts or it could have been a donut shop that's no longer here, which now I can't remember the name of, but let's go with do right. Cause that's do still right. like one okay. of my favorites. I love yeah. it. Well, you did me right, girl. You did me right. <laughs> um, and then it's last final question who hosted and whose idea was it to host a book tour in Chicago for play with fire and my most recent book, how to have your life not suck. Uh, I feel like it was a combination mutual agreement to have it here because I know you love Chicago and you'll come here with any excuse, but I definitely hosted it. You did. You <laughs> did. So just for the listeners to know, like this is not just a brilliant woman, professor, moody, psychologist, therapist, counselor, wise woman. You are a person who is near and dear to my heart. And we have one of those relationships where I know we don't talk every day. We don't text every day or anything like that. But when we do, I feel like 
you are a woman of wisdom. And now we get to have a conversation on a topic that is wildly important and one that we don't ever talk about. And so since the title of the show is we're going there, we literally are going there. Before we get started, give us a quick synopsis of why the topic of uncomfortable is one in your journey that you began to embrace. Ooh, that's a great question. So for me, you know, it's kind of one of those things where you're like, all right, did this happen? And I recognize it in the moment or now afterwards I see it and I realize it was there all along. But for me, embracing uncomfortable was a huge part of my life journey. It started for sure after my mom passed away, which part of my story is my mom took her life um, to suicide. And I had literally just graduated two weeks earlier with my doctorate and, you know, here my life came shattering down. My sister came to live with me. I was basically now like a single mom raising a soon to be single mom. Um, and I was like, okay, God, I'm not going to get through this, this literally I'm going to crawl into a hole and die. And it, part of the reason why was because all of my identity, what I thought was my identity came crashing down in that moment. I was so much the fixer in my family, the problem solver. And the one thing I couldn't fix was literally no longer fixable. And over the next several years, I mean, let's be honest, still till now, and this is 12 years ago, God just continuously kind of ripped away those false identities and started to show me who I truly was. And that was incredibly uncomfortable. And living that out today is still incredibly uncomfortable. So here's, here's the tension point that we face. And I don't want to speak on behalf of everyone, but if someone's listening to this podcast, I think that uncomfortable is the thing that we, we want to avoid. But the truth yeah. of the matter is, is that we are living in a time, in a day, in a season where uncomfortable is just par for the course. I don't know about anyone else listening to this podcast, but any sort of tension will require uncomfortability. Any sort of life change will require uncomfortability. But you talk so beautifully and so openly in conversations that we have, like what does embracing uncomfortable inquire? And I love, I love this term embracing uncomfortable because here's the thing. We're all uncomfortable in various seasons of our life. I don't ever want to embrace it. I think my life would be so much whole if I got to a place where I could embrace uncomfortability. So can you walk us through what embracing uncomfortability requires? Yeah. It's this little concept that's so easy to explain and so hard to put into practice, but it's, it's called radical acceptance. And so oftentimes, and this births a lot out of the, the work that I do with clients, they come to meet with me and they have this maybe unconscious expectation that the goal is to never feel an unpleasant emotion ever again. That's me. And we still, right. Okay. <laughs> Basically, totally. Don't give me pain, sister. Carry on. And so they re they've like completely oriented their lives around this concept. Like, mm -hmm. like everything is about avoiding the painful experiences in life. And yet they're going through them. And what happens in that practice of avoiding them is they're actually living like counter to their values. So I'll give like a really basic example. Let's say I, so I was sharing with you before we started this podcast, I walk to work every day and this has become kind of a ritualistic practice for me. I spend time with the Lord. I get to know my city more. It, it's, it's an amazing experience, but it takes a commitment. I live two miles from work. You can't really see outside my window, but there's like, seriously, like six feet of snow on the ground. You live in Chiberia. <laughs> it, it, the so degrees cool. were only in single digits when we were texting this morning. And I'm yeah. like, are you sure you don't want to come to California? Yeah, I kind of, but do. this two mile walk, talk to me about this ritualistic practice. Okay. So get up this morning, my bed's warm. I want to keep sleeping. I want to hit the snooze button, but I've made this commitment. And so the comfortable thing would be 
don't do it. Like who, who cares what, right. you know, like what's really the consequence of me not walking to work, but I've made this commitment. And the reality is it's invigorating. Like I've actually experienced a lot of energy from walking in the cold, but the time with the Lord is what's most important to me. And so there's a trade-off. Like I, I can stay in bed. I can stay warm. I can stay comfortable, but it's embracing the discomfort of getting up and walking that actually brings me a greater sense of satisfaction and accomplishment. And so we think about like applying that to all these different areas of life. Like I think about clients that are struggling with singleness. You talked about, you know, I'm single. I fit into that category. And I know a lot of people that feel like my life is on hold until I meet that person. Mm. And they don't want to embrace the discomfort of living life in this moment regardless of their season or circumstance, because they're afraid. I think that that means they're giving up on their dream. Mm. And so that radical acceptance piece is, is holding the tension of both. It's okay. I'm, I'm disappointed. I'm lonely. I'm sad that I'm single, but I also experience great joy and excitement and contentment in the opportunities that are in front of me. So we're talking a lot about uncomfortability. So I think I have to ask the question, is comfort always a bad thing? And then what's the myth of comfort? So for me, I'm, I, I don't want tension. I don't want conflict. I want a beach with a balmy 78 degrees and a frothy beverage in my hand. Like I love comfort. I, I desire it. And I'm hearing you talk about there's this beauty in the tension of uncomfortable, but is there, is, is comfort a bad thing? And then what is the myth of comfort? Yeah. I don't, I don't think comfort in and of itself is a bad thing. I think too, what comes to mind when, when, what you're describing is, is like true rest and Sabbath, like that is life filling Mm. for us. So no comfort in and of itself, isn't a bad thing, but the myth of comfort is thinking that that's what we're constantly driving for. And that's going to bring us the answers that we want. Right. So I wrote this whole book called embracing uncomfortable. You wrote an amazing endorsement for it. And I tell this story about going to this coffee shop and meeting this lady who was in a major rush and having a total fit about the person in front of her ordering the most complicated cup of tea. I mean, she was going off, like she was kind of doing that whole thing where like everybody else in the coffee shop needs to hear about my misery. And I was super annoyed, but I also realized I could be that person in any given day. Like I'm constantly running late to things, stressed out. And so I got up to to order, she was behind me. And I said to the, to the barista, I said, okay, I'm going to have this. And I turned to her and I said, what's your order? And she kind of didn't catch on what I was doing. She's like, I just want hot chocolate. Like, you know, all exasperated. So I told the barista, I said, I'm going to get my cup of coffee and I want to get her hot chocolate. She freaked out like, oh my gosh, I've been horrible. Aren't I being this terrible person? And, um, and so come to find out as we're waiting for our drinks that she's running late to be the reader in her grandson's kindergarten class that day. And she wanted to bring him a hot chocolate before class, which is a great, you know, experience that she's looking forward to. And I was struck when I left, we had a great conversation and um, she thanked me for the hot chocolate. And I was like, you know, I could be that person in any given moment. Like I legitimately can be when I'm running late, I'm probably not the most pleasant person to be around, but I have an opportunity to demonstrate love of Christ to every person in every circumstance. And we get big, you know, we think big picture evangelism, outreach, you know, living on purpose. And I really think it's the small things, but it's uncomfortable Mm -hmm. for me to slow down and be present in the moment when I have the pressures of deadlines and meetings and, you know, appointments waiting, you know, on the other side of my office door. Right. Right. I think one of the things that you do so beautifully is that you normalize without justifying. I think you normalize a lot of bad feelings that, that not just your clients, but in, in conversations that we've had, 
you really have such a great way of diffusing and normalizing negative emotions. One of my favorite things, and this is not a plug for your book, but it's a shameless plug for your book because I did endorse it and I loved it. But in the book, Embracing Uncomfortable, you discuss the obstacles of justification, minimalization, and denial. So which, I mean, first of all, those were a lot of big words. And so I, I mean, like literally bring us like kindergarten level therapy and counseling, but what does each of these mean? And how do you prevent you from making choices that are, consistent with your values and your purpose? Because, oh, also you talk a lot about purpose, which I was obsessed with because it feels like such a nebulous topic. So you kind of had carte blanche, like what do those mean? And what prevents us from making consistent choices that align with our values and our purpose? Absolutely. All right. I can break this down super easy because I call those three things, the change haters, <laughs> like that, change the, the change haters, the minimization, justification, denial. If you experience any one of those things, you're likely avoiding change at all costs. So let's, let's break Why it are down. you in my mail right now? <laughs> like you're in my mail and I need you to get out of my life, Dr. Deb, carry on. Oh, I know I'm, I'm terrible. Um, okay. So minimization, right? We start saying like, oh, it's not that big of a deal. I don't, eh, I don't really do that all the time, or that doesn't really make much of a difference. Um, it crops up so frequently. Minimization is probably one of my more difficult ones. Justification is digging our heels in and being like, yeah, I have every right to do this. Like, of course I'm, I'm single. I deserve to be married right now. I don't have to engage in life. I, I deserve to be waiting for the right person and, and to be miserable. Denial is, is obviously the hardest one to change because it's just not acknowledging there's an issue there in the first place. Mm. And those three things we experience one, two, all of them, those are the biggest barriers to change. I mean, think about, it. okay, so you're married next time you get into an argument. I know you don't ever argue with your spouse, but no, we're time, absolutely perfect. <laughs> <laughs> next time you do like, that's a great place to go. Okay. Am I minimizing? Am I denying? Am I justifying? We do this to ourselves and we do it to other people. And nine times out of 10, probably honestly, 10 times out of 10 in those moments, we're not living according to our purpose and our values. So help me break this down because I get this theoretically, help me understand this practically. Cause maybe there's someone like me out there where we were homeschooled and just a little slow processing. <laughs> so let's take one of the obstacles, justification saying yep. hypothetically, that that's the one I wrestle with in arguments. <laughs> so walk me through this. If I am, this is the change, the change haters, mm -hmm. right? Is that what you refer yep. to them as? Yeah. The change haters. So if I am having a disagreement with my husband and I'm using justification, as my rationale, what does that look like? Mm. And then what's the, what's the self-talk or like the internal dialogue that I could stop that? Because I do want to change. Yeah. I want us to have a healthier marriage and a healthier friendship and a healthier relationship. So walk me through, if it's justification, what do I do next? Okay. I don't want to put you on the spot here, but is there anything that let's you go. all no, we're, it's typically... called, we're going there. <laughs> all right, we're so going there. we're going there. So what is like something that you and Matt kind of regularly argue about? Okay. Now, this, I'm not even kidding you. I'm going to say this and it's going to be like, this is, you're being ridiculous, Bianca. This is clearly not a big issue in our marriage, but let me just test attest to the fact that this is such a big issue in our marriage that one time we went to therapy and this was the reason why. Okay. okay. Is ready? it dishes? I'm going to laugh if it's dishes. It's freaking dishes. <laughs> Deb, I can't, I'm not making this trash up. One time when he said that we, we walked into our, our counseling appointment and he turns to the therapist and he says, and he's going into this whole thing. And I'm like, I, I literally paused. I was like, time out. Did you bring us to therapy for the freaking dishes? <laughs> I'm not even kidding you. So it literally is an issue. So, but here's, so I'll, I'll actually for our listening audience and for 
I, I really do want to own this and confess this because I do want to change. Let me walk you through the argument. Okay. Um, Matt is particular about how a dishwasher is supposed to be loaded. I grew up poor. We didn't have a dishwasher. So I'm like, ah, throw a cup in. So he will organize the dishwasher. So because he's so particular about how he wants dishes, I will rinse my dish and then put it in the sink or like put it on the counter to him. He just, it, it is like, it is, he's like, I don't get it. Just put it in the dishwasher. Mm -hmm. My justification becomes you complained about how I do it every single time. So I'm just going to let you sort that. Mm. So and then I feel justified, like you're going to be upset either way. Walk me through. What do I do then? Okay. This is perfect. And I get the dishes one a lot, believe it or not. It's like the no, number one with cause other of married, divorce with in other America. <gasps> it's not, yeah, but it feels this like it's awesome. Yeah. Okay. All good. Right. Okay. So here's where, here's what you have to know in order to address this. And we don't have to get into all the details of this, but I always work with my clients to figure out what is your core value. So let's just say your core value is connection in relationship with Matt. I'm just going to make it up. Okay. And so that's your priority. So I think about, all right, how is this situation blocking connection? And Whoa. right. Cause it Whoa. does. And you totally know me because connection is like my number one value. Oh, I just, and if that. doing dishes would make him feel connected to me, <laughs> I'll load the dishwasher. I mean, probably wrong, but like, whatever. Okay. Carry on. So, so you've got connection. your value or right. Connection, which is like the map. Like if you're on a map and you want to go from one destination to the next, you have to know where you're going. You can't not know where you're going. So you're going for connection. Now justification gets in the way because oftentimes we put the feedback, the value, the acknowledgement of others at such a high priority in our life, it becomes like literally connected to our identity. So in this example, Matt acknowledging you washing the dish or even coming halfway to the point of meeting him in his need could be such a priority that your justification, which is like digging in your heels, kind of equivalent to, to mm -hmm. stubbornness mm -hmm. is your way of, of in essence saying, Hey, you hold my value and worth in this moment, which is so mm. not true, right? Because your value mm -hmm. and worth is held by nobody other than God. Like that's it. You are, you have worth and dignity because you're made in the image of God. Mm. And when we can come to that foundation, so this is really hard work to do with people who aren't believers, but when we come to that foundation and then we say, okay, so my value and worth is made in the image of God. My core value is connection. I am going to embrace the uncomfortable of doing the dishes the way my spouse prefers in order to move in alignment with that value. Mm, got it. Okay. Instead of justifying, right? Instead of saying, well, I'm kind of doing it this way because it's holding on to it. And then it becomes kind of like a tightrope or a, a, a what, what is it? Tug of war. Mm. You just let, you let go of the rope. Okay. So I want to walk this through in like the full umbrella of radical acceptance. So I, I get the concept again, I want you to take this 30,000 foot concept and like bring it down. Um, but I get the concept of radical acceptance, but what is the difference between validation and radical acceptance? Yeah. All right. So I like to use an analogy here. We have this beautiful thing, not beautiful right now, but in the middle of Chicago, there's this river. Again, Chicago River goes through the whole city and they've um, turned it into this amazing like river walk and there's restaurants and it's beautiful in the summertime. It's amazing. But if you know anything about Chicago, the river itself is disgusting. Like it's, it's really quite gross and I won't go into the details, but you don't ever want to swim in it or swallow it 
for sure. So let's say that you're walking along the river, having a wonderful night. It's definitely not winter. It's like the summer. It's the most amazing time of year here. It's right downtown. So all the buildings are reflecting light off the water and you're minding your own business and somebody's out jogging and they're not paying attention and they knock into you and you lose your balance and you fall into the river. Terrifying, right? Ugh, it's like yes. the last place Ugh. you want to be. Yeah. And so this is like, think of this as the circumstances you didn't choose. I didn't choose for my mom to take her life. I didn't choose to be single at this age in my life. I didn't choose, you know, certain circumstances in my life that are difficult conflict with family or friends. Um, and a lot of times we can go, well, I didn't choose to be here. So I don't want to deal with it. That's, that's kind of the internal, maybe unconscious dialogue, mm -hmm. or I didn't choose to be here. I'm just going to wallow in the emotions of it. And so it's like being, you're in the river and the only way you're going to get out of the river is to start swimming to the shore. Whether you chose to get there, whether you're terrified or not, you have to radically accept, which is simply saying it is what it is, but here's the key part right now, because we can mm -hmm. also say, oh, it's going to be like this forever, which is judgment, or we can resign. Well, nothing's ever going to get better. I might as well just stay in the river. Radical acceptance is it is what it is right now. And the, the important part of validation is acknowledging the feelings that come with that. Like if you're single and you desire to be in a relationship, that's tough. That's painful. That's lonely. If your spouse just admitted to having an affair, that's devastating. That's overwhelming. Um, and so validation is key to then being able to say, okay, I wanted option A. It's not on the table right now but I do have other options, even if they're not the ones I would want to choose. And I don't have to be stuck in this place forever. I cannot advocate, not just for your book, but I can't advocate for the way that you process and break down really hard concepts. I'm so appreciative for you. Before we like jump to anything else, I just feel like we need to kind of put language around, let's say that I'm embracing uncomfortable. I'm now at the point where my language has shifted and I'm like, it is what it is for right now. And I validate my feelings, but they don't own me. And I'm accepting and believing that something's gonna change what does my community, how does my community around me help me and deal? Because I don't want to be, excuse me, but I don't want to be a piss pot. I don't want to like wallow and like, because I think I kind of tend to, I'll probably be, if I'm using your nomenclature, I'd probably wallow and mm -hmm. be like, whoa, this is it. Woe is me. But now if I'm developing this, this language of you know, I'm embracing uncomfortable, it's radical acceptance. I'm validating my feelings, but I do believe that it will change. How can my community have language to walk around me in those moments where I'm pushed into the Chicago river? Yeah. Okay. My favorite example, you're going to love this. My favorite example of this is in the book of Ruth. <gasps> you, okay. Well, for those that don't know, and this is in the introduction, I have an affinity for Ruth, which you know, because you wrote in on so many concepts from the book, how to have your life not suck because it's rooted in the book of Ruth. Hello. Come on somebody. So give me it. I'm ready. Okay. Hit me with your best shot. Here we go. So Ruth and Naomi, after they've lost all their family, right? They come back to their hometown and Naomi, all of her friends come out to meet her. And I love the, I love the old Testament, but I love the picture of community of women in the old Testament. And all of her friends come out to, to Naomi and they're like, Naomi, this is what I imagine anyway. And she's just like this curmudgeon woman who's had all these losses in her life. And she's like, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, because God has dealt with me bitterly. 
And we don't get the picture of what happens next, but sometimes I think the absence of information in the Bible also gives us a clue. Mm. So the Bible doesn't say these women were like, oh, Naomi, God's not going to give you anything more than you can handle. You just need to trust in him, right? All these things that we tend to do when people are, are in pain and grieving and in sorrow. I think they were literally like, okay, let's go. Let's go, Mara. And they acknowledged her feelings as well. Like they validated her experience. God has dealt with you bitterly. This is a terrible tragedy in biblical times, losing your husband and your sons was like a death sentence for women. Mm. And so I think as a community, you know, we, we don't like to suffer with people. Suffering is uncomfortable in and of itself. Um, and yet I think there's something powerful. One of my I think my most favorite spiritual disciplines to talk about is one that we don't even acknowledge as a spiritual discipline, but it's the corporate practice of lament. And I think if we can come alongside others in this process of embracing uncomfortable, especially when it's in those really difficult moments and say, this is hard, this is painful, this isn't how it's supposed to be, and just sit with people in that. And then as we continue to ask, are you ready to, to, to consider something different? The other thing community can offer is perspective. Like I'm not, I, I'm a good counselor because I've done a lot of training, but I'm also a good counselor because I'm not emotionally involved in my client's stuff. So I can see things differently. And mm. anybody can do that for a friend or a loved one if they're not too entwined personally in the emotional stuff. So I am out of the Chicago River and I am drawing myself off and I have gotten out. What is my appropriate response now? Like I, I, I embraced uncomfortable. Like I, I made it through and it was hard, but I put a smile on my face and I believe that, that the season was going to change and it did. What should my response be? Mm. Well, first I would say I, recognizing that you're still in Chicago. <laughs> so <laughs> what I mean by that is I think some people have the expectation that they're going to get out of the river and they're going to be in Tahiti or like, if it's winter, Ooh. I'm going to be in Ooh. SoCal with you right now. Right. Hello. <laughs> no, you're still in Chicago and there's amazing things there. You have to look for them and it's a dance. Oh, so good. Right. It's constantly a dance. So I might feel really excited. Like, okay. So funny enough about dishes, I've got this weird thing where when I'm doing dishes, I get real, this is going to sound so silly. I get really sad about not being single anymore. And I'm not even dating anybody, but I think about like, I have so many amazing experiences as a single woman. And I fully believe God's going to bring that person into my life someday. And I'm like, what, what, what is this about? I'm not even, I'm not, you know, I'm not in that place yet, but it's a dance between the emotions. Cause there's some days where I'm like, I'm, I'm really lonely and sad. I don't have that person. And then there's days where it's like, wow, life is super fulfilling. And these opportunities and these experiences I have are wonderful. And so it's, you know, it's, it's having a realistic expectation that we're never going to stop dealing with stuff, mm. but we have to be willing to look at what are the things in front of us that we can pursue for purpose, like for, for God's ordained purpose in our lives. There is no better way to end the show with that. Dr. Deb, which side note, I refer to you as Dr. Deb and now everyone refers to you as Dr. Deb and I'm here for it. But Dr. Deb, your wisdom, your insight, your perspective is just what we need in this season that might feel really uncomfortable for a lot of people. So 
I can't push the book enough, but more than that, I just value you as a wise woman in intelligentsia, in academia, and I'm grateful for your time. Thank you so much for your wisdom. Thank you for your words. We love and appreciate you. Thanks so much for having me. At this point, I hope we are all in ready to embrace uncomfortable. If you want more information on Dr. Deb's book, Embracing Uncomfortable, you can check it out on Amazon or the link in the show notes provided. Make sure you shout out Dr. Deb on social media at Deb Gorton, that's Gorton with a T, at Deb Gorton and at Bianca Oltoff. And five lucky winners will get a copy of Embracing Uncomfortable. As always, thank you for sharing this podcast and leaving your reviews. As a token of my appreciation, I'll do a special chore for you. Can you guess which chore it'll be? It's freaking dishes. I'm not making this trash up. Just kidding. No dishes will be done. But your positive reviews and sharing of the podcast helps get us in the ears of people around the world. On behalf of me, Mari, and the entire crew here at We're Going There, we just want to say we love you. Thanks for joining us. 